Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Dose Makes the Poison, the ToxCast. My name is Kevin. We are coming back from a brief hiatus, but today we'll be talking about what the oleander is going on with that Benadryl challenge. So buckle up for two completely different things. Oleander has been in the news over the last couple of months. And no, not the 90s, 2000s post-grunge rock band Oleander. So I thought it was time to briefly talk about what Oleander actually is. And like I said, Oleander has been in the news lately. Why? Because it was being touted as a possible substance that may or may not have suppressant effects on coronavirus or COVID-19. And could possibly be used to treat the virus. I'm not going to talk about the specifics of the political aspects of this. You can find great articles on the internet in various news outlets, including an article by the awesome Jonathan Swan over at Axios. But when I first heard about Oleander being touted as a, pot, as a potential medicine, I instantly raised an eyebrow. And if you're a wrestling fan, just think of the, the Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's people's eyebrow going up. That's exactly what I did. So what the heck is oleander? Nerium oleander is a shrub or a small tree commonly known as nerium or oleander, hence the name nerium oleander. Uh, It's typically known for being grown in the Mediterranean basin, but you can find it pretty much in any warm subtropical regions now. And these days you can see it grown as an ornamental plant It has fragrant white, pink, uh, red flowers on it. Uh, Very pretty flowers. You can find them in other colors too if you really want to. Peach and yellow are uh, some good varieties. It's a very pretty plant and it's grown pretty much everywhere. So what made me raise my eyebrow on this story? Well, as a forensic toxicologist, when I hear about oleander... I think of poison because all parts of the oleander plant are poisonous. The oleander plant contains several cardiac glycoside compounds with the main one being a substance called oleandrin, which is a chemical with the molecular formula C32H48O9, meaning it has 32 carbons, 48 hydrogens, nine oxygens. And it has a molecular weight of 576.2 grams per mole. If you want a complete description of what a cardiac glycoside does and how it works in the body, go check out episode 9 of this podcast. The episode was called Headed for a Heartbreak, where I talked about the cardiac glycosides digoxin and convalitoxin. I talk about them more in depth in that episode, uh, and I give a good breakdown of how they work. But briefly here, I just want to say that oleander, like I said, is a cardiac glycoside. It functions in the body by inhibiting the sodium potassium pump inside the cell, 
which in turn then affects the sodium-calcium exchanger. All of that is just a technical way to say it causes some severe irregularities with heart muscle contraction, which then may lead to cardiac arrhythmia um, and potentially decreasing the overall cardiac output, leading to basically oxygen shortage in the body tissues. Another interesting adverse effect of the cardiac glycoside poisoning is a condition called xanthopsia, which is a deficiency in color vision where yellow predominates. Um, and basically that's because the sodium potassium pump is inhibited. So you have a yellowing filter effect, or it's like kind of like, a, you could say, looking through yellow colored lenses. So everything's got like a yellow hue to it. But that is a, a adverse effect of poisoning with cardiac glycosides. So we've established it's a plant that is poisonous. And that poison has some serious adverse effects on the heart. This compound pops up every so often in a forensic toxicology setting. Over 17 plus years in the field. I actually have no direct experience with testing for it. But there are many, many accidental poisonings in animals and several published reports of accidental and intentional poisonings in humans. Oleandrin itself can be detected rather easily in a toxicology laboratory. Uh, but only if you know what to look for. So in other words, only if you have evidence that you need to target that compound or test for it is when you will be able to test for oleandrin. It's not a normal routine compound to look for, but if you know you want to look for it, it's easy to do so. So like I said, there have been several published reports. Uh, Wasfi et al. published a report in Forensic Science International in 2008 regarding the death of a male in the United Arab Emirates who uh, he was admitted to the hospital with digoxin-like toxicity, uh, which were the, the symptoms were reported as complete heart block, cardiac arrest, ventricular fibrillation, and then eventual multiple organ failure and then death. His wife had reported that he had made a, an infusion from some unknown leaves given to him by some unknown person, and he drank some of that as a treatment for diabetes. Just kind of me interjecting here. Don't ever do that, people. Don't make a uh, concoction and drink it uh, from when you're getting some sort of powder or leaves from an unknown person uh, without true unknown identification of those leaves. Not a good idea. But anyways, uh, the leaves were identified by a local herbalist as oleander leaves. And then the toxicology lab then tested blood and urine samples, which were taken during hospital admission. Immunoassay and gas chromatography mass spectrometry testing, or GCMS testing, of the urine was positive for fentanyl, propofol, morphine, and midazolam, all medications that were given during the hospital admission stay. Blood was tested for oleandrin by liquid chromatography with triple quadruple mass spectrometry, or LCMSMS, and it was positive at around 10 nanograms per milliliter. Poppy et al. reported the deaths of two individuals in the American Journal of Forensic Medicine and Pathology in 2012. 
So a man and a woman were found lying on the ground in an Italian forest during the winter. Blood from both individuals were tested for routine drugs by gas chromatography, mass spectrometry, and was completely negative. Oleandrin was tested by radioaminoassay, which was actually specifically meant for the detection of the previously mentioned cardiac glycoside digoxin. And this radioaminoassay test was positive. Those were only two published reports of forensic toxicology confirmed oleander poisonings. But there are countless others in literature. If you seek more, want to read about more, head over to PubMed. Just use the search terms oleander and death or oleander and poison. Uh, you will find the papers that will lead you to reading the, the case reports of oleander poisonings. From a pop culture perspective, oleander has been the focus of several books and movies as a poisoning plot device. So the 1944 book, Dragonwick, written by Anya Seton, uh, involves a doctor poisoning his wife with oleander by grinding up the leaves and sprinkling the powder on a cake that was eaten. The book was actually then adapted into a film a couple of years later in 1946, and the film, titled Dragonwick, starred Vincent Price, Walter Houston, Gene Tierney, and Anne Revere. Uh, the oleander poisoning was also included in the movie as a central plot point. So go check out the book. Go check out the film. I like that film a lot. Um, go check it out. It's a good watch. Speaking of, uh, of other books, the 1999 book, White Oleander, includes the use of the oleander plant as a device to poison a person. The book was eventually turned into a movie a few years later. It starred Michelle Pfeiffer, and you had the same plot device of poisoning by Oleander. So Oleander, or Oleandrin, is a poison. We've established that. And it's, it was currently being pushed as a potential drug to treat COVID-19. So again, consuming actual poison to combat a virus... How did this idea get this far? How did we arrive here? Uh, well, there was a single study published as a preprint. And in case you don't know what a preprint is, preprints are papers that haven't been peer-reviewed yet. But they are uploaded to a specific site, and anyone and everyone can read them before they go undergo peer review. Well, Plant et al. uploaded a paper called Prophylactic and therapeutic inhibition of in vitro SARS-CoV-2 replication by oleandrin on July 15th of this year, 2020. In this preprint study, the de they detail findings of oleandrin oleandrin's effects on COVID-19 in kidney cells of African green monkeys. So that's basically where the idea came from. It's an idea based off of a single study in monkey kidney cells that had, at that time, yet to undergo peer review. And it hadn't been published in a reputable scientific journal or any sort of literature. Phoenix Biotechnology Incorporated was a company who actually had applied for a dietary supplement that included oleandrin as well. But this company's 
application was actually rejected by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, uh, on August 14th of 2020 because there were significant concerns, and I say that in quotes, quote, unquote, significant concerns by the FDA that oleandrin is not safe to consume. It is not safe to consume poison. So in conclusion, while a very pretty ornamental flower, all parts of the oleander plant are poisonous and they may cause severe cardiac disturbances if consumed. So if you want to live, please don't consume the oleander plant or oleandrin. And now for something different. Benadryl. Diphenhydramine if you're nasty. Diphen for short. According to reports, the Benadryl challenge was a new thing uh, probably about a month, month and a half ago. Well, you may ask, Kevin, what is this Benadryl challenge? And I would answer, I don't know. Because honestly, I don't know if it actually even existed or not. News reports were that one of these so-called challenges were going around on TikTok where the person is supposed to take many times the typical dose of Benadryl to try to trigger hallucinations. And yes, before I get too far, yes, you can hallucinate from Benadryl. We'll get there in a minute. So quickly, let's get into what is Benadryl. Benadryl is a trade name for an over-the-counter medication. I've already mentioned the chemical in Benadryl is diphenhydramine, a substance commonly used to treat allergies. Chemically, it's considered to be a diphenylmethane derivative, and it's closely related to other substances such as orphanodrin, nephopam, and tofenacin. Diphen's chemical formula is C17H21NO, 17 carbons, 21 hydrogens, 1 nitrogen, 1 oxygen. Has a molecular weight equal to 255.35 grams per mole. Pharmacologically, diphenhydramine acts as an inverse agonist of the histamine H1 receptor. So histamine is a substance that's involved in many biological roles in the body, including local immune responses, regulating physiological function in the gut, acting as a neurotransmitter for the brain and spinal cord, being involved in the inflammatory response with um, uh, the central role as kind of a mediator of itching. Like I said, allergies, itching. Uh, Histamine increases the permeability of capillaries to the white blood cells. So basically, it allows them to engage pathogens in infected tissues easier. Diphenhydramine, again, is an inverse agonist of this receptor, which means it basically reverses the effects of histamine. Think of it as reversing those effects on the capillaries in the body. This, in turn basically reduces the intensity of the allergic symptoms you're seeing. Diphen can also cross the blood-brain barrier and act as an inverse agonist on H1 receptors in the brain. And this is where you get that drowsiness and tiredness that's associated with diphenhydramine or Benadryl. What people don't realize about diphen and other first-generation antihistamines that are related to it is that they are also what are considered to be anti-muscarinic. Uh, They act as antagonists of muscarinic acetylcholine receptors. So 
Think of back to episode 11 where I talked about Jagger the Irish Setter's mysterious death. I talked about acetylcholine briefly there for, for just a few brief moments. The substances found in Jagger's blood were carbamate pesticides, which are not the same thing as diphenhydramine, but they function as acetylcholinesterase enzyme inhibitors. Diphen is an acetylcholine receptor antagonist. Basically, those carbamate pesticides blocked the enzyme from degrading acetylcholine in the body and allowed excess acetylcholine to be formed in the body. So you'd have a buildup of acetylcholine due to that blocking of the enzyme. While, long story short, diphen blocks the activity of the acetylcholine receptor, not allowing acetylcholine to bind to that receptor, which reduces the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system. And that parasympathetic nervous system normally is involved in the slowing of the heart, an increased rate of digestion, a narrowing of the airways, it promotes urination. So basically, if you block those effects, you get sedation, you get tachycardia or fast heart rate, you get dry mouth, you get constipation and urine retention, you get some vomiting, you get seizures. And larger doses can cause what is considered to be anticholinergic syndrome via that sort of antagonism of the receptors. And this is what people are actually trying to cause when they do this so-called Benadryl challenge. They are essentially causing an acute anticholinergic syndrome, which includes hallucinations. Diphenhydramine is an anticholinergic in high doses, and another name for that is it is a deliriant. These hallucinations can be auditory or they can be visual. And the visual hallucinations can be open-eyed and they can be closed-eyed. So what I like to say when it, when it comes to things like Benadryl and, and using that recreationally and trying to hallucinate off that, it's all fun and games when you see spiders, but they go away typically when you close your eyes. It's a nightmare when you can't escape those spiders when you actually do close your eyes because you will see them even if you do close them. Diphenhydramine has all sorts of other pharmacological mechanisms. It acts as an intracellular sodium channel blocker, which allows for it to be used as a local anesthetic. And it has been shown to act as a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which in turn led to the discovery and synthesis of other serotonin reuptake inhibitors, such as Prozac or fluoxetine. So kids and adults too, because I know adults do this, Try not to take too much Benadryl. If this Benadryl challenge is real, don't partake in it. Diphenhydramine acts as an histamine inverse agonist, as an antagonist of the acetylcholine receptor, a sodium channel blocker, and potentially as a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. The potential hallucinations that you might get from abusing this drug or using this drug in ways that shouldn't be are neither worth the possibility of a hospital stay nor potential death. Because yes, people do die from taking too much Diphen. It's commonly seen in forensic toxicology. If I search PubMed right now, this moment, I could find numerous scientific articles, numerous papers, numerous manuscripts describing deaths due to Diphenhydramine overdose, as well as hospitalizations caused by that said overdose. Diphen is 
easily detected in a forensic lab. So um, we use things like GCMS or LCMSMS. It's one of the easiest drugs to detect, in my opinion, in a forensic toxicology lab. So that's the end of the episode. I hope you learned a thing or two about oleander or diphenhydramine. Uh, primarily, oleandrin is a poison. It's not effective in the treatment of COVID-19. And it is a poison again. And don't partake in this Benadryl challenge. It's just downright silly. And it could be very detrimental to your health. I'll be back soon with another episode of the ToxCast. I'm trying to keep these episodes less than 30 minutes long for just ease of listening. But if you like what you're hearing on the ToxCast, please leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. To reach me, email the ToxCast at dosemakesthepoisonpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at at ToxCast, T-O-X-C-A-S-T. You can also find us on Facebook at the Dose Makes the Poison podcast page. Go on over there, give it a like, send me a message, whatever you want to do. Until next time, my friends, remember that you should never practice toxicology in a vacuum.